welcome back to another exciting adventure in middle-aged gaming! On today's episode, our intrepid hosts brave the bowels of the internet in search of scintillating news that may very well change the way you view the world forever! Uh, I doubt it. And now, middle-aged gaming presents... News! Is it at least exciting news? Maybe! We are back with another new show, and if you didn't tune in the last week, we talked about ourselves and our lives in Taiwan. Please go back and check out that episode if you are interested. Next week, we will continue that series, so please come back for more juicy details about our initial days setting up in this wonderful country. I should have said settling. But today, we are all back to all things gaming. So, Adam, what stories are you going to cover today? I have three stories for us today. The first one is going to be talking about the DualSense 5 and some of its drifting issues. The second one is going to be talking about the whole GameStop, GameStop, I guess that's what it's called now, right? GameStop <laughs> stock fiasco and what was going on and, and all that and how the guy who was kind of at the center of it really doesn't understand himself how it worked and it just kind of did. And then the third one I'm going to be talking about is BlizzCon and Metallica kind of had a little ironic situation there where they uh, switched out some mu their own music to avoid DRM. So, bit of irony there. That is definitely ironic. I did see those stories as well. And of course, uh, GameStop, I was following that. It's going to be an interesting show today. So, Adam, why don't you lead us off? Okay, so the first one is going to be the DualSense 5. They have obviously had drift issues. This is a very common issue in a lot of controllers. Switch just recently went through a problem with it. And now they are going through a class action lawsuit, uh, the DualSense 5, Nintendo's already been through it, due to this stick drift. So basically what's happening is, the reason this is happening is the DualSense 5, the sticks are attached directly to the circuit board. They're not attached by wires. They're actually uh, soldered on. And this causes a problem because it makes them very, very difficult to replace. If you had a piece that was, you know, maybe wired in, you could replace that one piece, just unplug it and plug in a new one. But because they're soldered in, it's really hard to fix. So if you want to get your DS5 fixed, you have to actually ship it back to Sony. They'll fix it and then ship it back to you. But that can actually take a couple of weeks. So that's obviously not an optimal solution because that means that basically you have to buy a second controller while you're waiting for your first one to work. So anyway, what's happening here is there's a couple different ways that analog sticks work. And the way that the PS5 does it is that there are three thermal resistors uh, with a sliding and rotating component. So as you move the analog stick, this uh, basically causes, it can read the voltage between where the placement is and on the little slider thing on the bottom. And based on this, it can figure out where your controller is supposed to be. Now, what happens is they'll have a spring and the spring will basically jump it back into place where it's supposed to go. But because the spring is a physical thing, then over time it takes wear and tear and maybe it doesn't spring back to where it's supposed to go. And that's what's causing this problem. Now, the people that make it, Alps, the, they're the manufacturer of joystick parts for not just the DS5, but a bunch of different ones. They basically said that the operation life for these potentiometers, I'm hopefully I'm saying that correctly, is about 2 million cycles while the center function, you know, to put it back in or when you click like that, you know, the L3 and 
R3 buttons is for about, about, sorry, about 500,000 cycles. So when people, when uh, I guess it's a site, I fix it basically did their own analysis, figuring out, okay, if you're moving it around 2 million times, if you were playing a game such as Call of Duty, what does that mean? And it translates to about 417 hours of game time, which it oh seems incredibly short. So yes. Yeah, so it seems that the DualSense 5 is not just designed for, what's the word when you have something and it's designed to fail? Uh, planned obsolescence. Not yes. only is it designed for planned obsolescence, but it's actually a really, really low number, apparently. Uh, 417 hours seems extremely short. And, and they did say, though, that this is going to vary from game to game. In a game like Call of Duty, where you're running around all the time and you're you know smashing the stick in different directions because you have to have really quick movements, you're going to get a lot more use out of it than you would in, say, something like maybe Final Fantasy VII Remake, where you're still running around a little bit, but you're not having as much you know back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's usually just kind of run in a general direction or something like that. Or even if you were playing something like, say, Minecraft or you know a JRPG where the characters are lined up you know, it's going to be different. So they say it's going to vary from game to game. But if you're playing a pretty intensive game, 417 hours is the assumption there. So, yeah, that's a really big problem. And that's part of the reason why Sony is facing a class action lawsuit right now is because apparently a lot of people have already hit that 417 hour mark, which given that it came out in what, November, that that's not that surprising that people have been able to put in 400 hours in four months. Oh, okay. Do you think this is a cost thing? Like, I mean, because the PS5 was cheap, I mean, given all the tech that went into the DS5, uh, that went into the PlayStation, I mean, they had to cut costs somehow. And instead of having like uh, longer lasting components in the DS5, they're like, okay, just leave it like that. We want to keep costs down. I'm not entirely sure if that's the case or not. I mean, obviously, for instance, the PS5 itself is sold at a loss. So I wouldn't be surprised if the DS5s are also sold at a loss. Now, I have heard that because of the soldering of the analog sticks to the circuit board, some people speculate that that was specifically designed in that if the controller fails, it is hard to fix. So you have to send it to Sony. So I have heard some, or I should say read, I have read some assumptions that the idea was that they don't want people fixing them on their own. So they went out of their way to make it more difficult to fix. So as far as making, you know, using cheaper components for the analog sticks themselves, I don't think they necessarily did that. I think they just used the same components that they've been using for a while. I think I read somewhere that actually the DS5 analogs are basically exactly the same as the DS4s. So I think they're just using, you know, the same thing they've been using, but because they have this decision to make it on the board, then if you have to fix it, you have to send it back. You can't do it yourself easily unless you have, you know, a soldering gun and you want to get into that yourself. So, And do you think this opens up room for sort of less proprietary controllers where somebody looks at the DS5 and says, hey, like I think this this week or the, the this month, some guys, I, I don't know where they're from actually, they came up with some pretty good uh, Switch controllers and they said, hey, this ones are, or these ones, my poor English, are not going to drift as much as the regular Switch ones, and the life cycle is better, and they look nicer, and the form looks better, and uh, it's definitely grips better. I mean, just from the pictures themselves, they are more expensive. So do you think, I mean, 
like the what is that company that released the black PS5 plates and said, "Hey, sue us." Do you think Sony's going to allow, you know, non-proprietary controllers to be released? I think that's kind of been the general drift in consoles in general. Xbox seems to be pretty open to third-party controllers, but then I think that's because obviously Microsoft has a big stake in the PC market, so for them it's not that big of a deal if people aren't necessarily buying the Xbox controllers. Uh, but definitely Sony for the PS4, there weren't that many third-party controllers. I don't even think there were that many for the PS3. I mean, if you go back to like the P- the original PlayStation and the PlayStation 2, the Nintendo 64, you know, there were a lot of third-party controllers. And if you look at the last few generations, there aren't that many third parties. I mean, you have Scuff, and then you have Razer, and what was the other one? Nacon, the Nacon Revolution. I think it was the other one. See, I'm not sure about the PlayStation, but I feel like all the major peripheral companies have released controllers, I mean, at least for the Switch, the Xbox, the PC, uh, Android, iOS. I know they have them for the, like, I know they have them for PC, obviously, and I know they have them for Xbox. But, like, for instance, on the PS4, there weren't that many third-party options. You're basically limited to scuff for a long time. And those were basically, I think, modded DS4s, if I remember correctly. And so then, they're not designed from the ground up. Yeah, they're not designed from the ground up. Like if you look at them, they're the same form factor and everything. They just added paddles to the back. So I think they just took regular DS4s and then maybe got inside and customized them a bit. I'm not entirely sure on that. So don't quote me on that. But if I remember correctly, that's what they did. Uh, so basically, until they came out with the Nacon Revolution and the Razer Raiju, you basically didn't have any other options other than the original PlayStation. And I think part of that, too, is because the PlayStation added the um, the touchpad. So there were a few. There was a Mad Cat one. I had one that was wired, and I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there were a few, but I think with Sony, I think the idea is they really want to make kind of a special controller with all these special features. So they add things sure. like haptic feedback they add things like the touchpad and i don't know and and a i don't think they're that open to having too many third parties out there that's why you'll have like the officially licensed ones yeah but also i think it's one of those things where it's just harder to make a good controller when you have these extra bells and whistles on it and still make them competitive so i think because I, I do think they are selling probably ds5s at a loss so so I don't know if it's entirely malicious, but I wouldn't be surprised if part of the motivation is money, where they're like, let's just make it and it's going to fail and people will buy more, whatever. But that said, I don't really know how extensive the problem is. I obviously have four DS4s. Yes. I really only use two of them. I keep one here for my place. I keep one here with the computer that I use for when I do streaming. And then I have one in the living room. So when I need to... You know, or when I want to play in the living room on the big screen, I can go out there. But I pretty much just use those two. And yeah, I'm at 90 something hours on the on uh, Valhalla. And that's the longest game I've been playing on the PS5 because that's what I kind of started with. And I have a lot of the smaller indie ones. But uh, so I haven't quite hit that 400 hour mark yet. But uh, yeah, you made, you made some good points about the controllers. I just did a quick Google search. Um, I looked at Scuff's website, and yep, no PS5 controllers available. No. I did a, a Amazon Google search, and the top 
study results are all PlayStation or reviews of the DS5. Uh, Amazon, no Chinese knockoffs or anything like that yeah. yet. Um, again, in the first few pages, so definitely looks like um, Sony has done it. I mean, they've created control. I mean, it's it has been soon, not to mention limited supplies of things for everything. So I can imagine, even if you are a Chinese company or any company that's trying to create a knockoff or proprietary controller or non-proprietary controller, it's going to be difficult given the 2021 logistics situation. Yeah, and but obviously with the with like what they're doing with the plates and stuff like that, where Sony's saying no, you know, we don't want anybody making these plates out and whatnot. It's uh, they really do seem to be kind of not wanting people to come in and create their own stuff for it. So it does seem do kind think, of hostile there. Do you think that's anti-competitive? Yes, actually, I do. I do think that's anti-competitive, and and also too because my favorite controller of all time was the Pelican Afterglow for the PS2. And I have one. I actually still have it. It's in the other room. I could go grab it. But basically <laughs> what I loved about it is, okay, so I have my, can you see this here? My DS5 here? Yes. Okay. So the way we have here, we have the two bumpers up the top and then right below me have the triggers, right? So when you're holding the controller, you know, if you want to hold it like this, it just doesn't feel right. So most people hold it like this and then switch these fingers up. The Pelican moved the bumpers down here. So the bumpers were actually, or sorry, the triggers were actually where your uh, middle fingers would actually naturally sit. So when you're sitting here like that, you actually always have access to the controllers. And I know for some people, like if they're playing shooters, they might want to use their index finger for the trigger finger. But it just made it so convenient because it was just way more comfortable because that natural holding your uh, controller like this, there was a button here, not two buttons up here. And... I absolutely loved it. And when the PS3 came out, I really wanted another controller with that same form factor and I couldn't find one anywhere. And it got to the point where I was actually trying to figure out like, could I open up a DS3 and you know try to like cut open this part and move them and whatnot. And I actually opened up a, a DS3 to see if I could do it. And uh, I tried the, and the same thing with the DS4 and, and yeah, I just, so the, the fact that you can actually create specialized controllers for specialized things you know so you could have a controller that's really well designed for racing games you could have a controller that's really well designed for rpgs and you could have one that's really well designed for shooters you can do that if you have a lot of third-party controllers but if it's all first party then no you just kind of have to get the best average controller and i think that does hurt gamers in a way because yeah i don't i do play shooters but not as much as i play rpgs and stuff like that so if I could have something that was, you know, something that gave me access to those triggers with my middle fingers instead of having to, you know, hold it in a weird or different way, that'd be super convenient for me. So I would definitely in a, in a second buy that controller. So, yeah, I definitely think it's anti-competitive. So for our viewers, the you can see the Pelican Afterglow up on the screen right now. Oh, fantastic. And uh, you see the bottom of it. Uh, they I could get a bottom Im image. Um, I should get that for an exit because this is the second time you've mentioned this controller. So I was like, I oh, I've got to show so that much. <laughs> but yeah, so that's the, that's the top of it. Yeah, so if you could get a bottom picture of it, you could really see it. Um, oh, but the, the, uh, the, yeah, the, the two triggers are recessed and it, it just makes it, it was so comfortable. It was the most comfortable controller I've ever touched in my life. 
you would think for such a revolutionary bottom, people would take pictures of the bottom. There are no bottom pictures. There are on... bottom pictures. I'll send you a link. Oh, please do. I mean, we can put it up at the end of the show. Sure, 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 sure. Okay, then I'm going to move on to my first story. Okay, my first story is this. The story is out of CNET. Nintendo Switch games are too expensive and have every reason to be. It was published on February 19th, 2021. The links to all of these news items will be in the show notes for the podcast. Will be uh, I should actually include these on the videos as well, so we'll include those at some point as well. So what is this article about? It says Switch games are more expensive than Wii, than the Wii or Wii U games, and the author like argues that they have every right to be. So the highlights are with the most recent Nintendo Direct, the HD version of Skyward Sword, that's Zelda Skyward Sword, ends up being more expensive than the previous generation version. The article says that Nintendo fans are to blame. It is true because people like me and others don't hesitate to pay full price for a game. That is totally true. Um, Games also tend to not drop too much in value. For example, if you wanted to buy Mario Odyssey, Mario Odyssey is still a $60 game four years later. So if you went on to the American eShop, which is where I... I am on, it is $60. The only way to get it cheaper is to buy it secondhand and at American prices, you're not likely to get more than a $15 discount. So, I mean, Switch games are kind of a good investment as well because, I mean, even potentially seven, eight years later, I'm still not I'm going to lose $15 on the $60 that I did pay compared with some other games. So the article blames it on the fans and I think this is part of the reason because that is true. People don't hesitate to buy games at full price on a Switch. I mean, and I think the other reason is because Switch games do have a lot of replay value. Take uh, Breath of the Wild, take Mario Odyssey. I mean, I know people who've played Breath of the Wild for 200 hours and uh, Mario Odyssey, which is not a long game, have somehow managed to stretch it up to 40, 50 hours as well. And I think that's that's what Nintendo does. They give a lot of value for what you play. Um, it's also really easy to trade a resale game. So even if I pay $60, I'm going to sell my game for 45 maybe after I finish it, if I'm not a collector. And then I just need to pony up another $15 to buy another new full-price game at some point. And let's say that cycle continues. So potentially speaking, I'm only paying $15 for new games if I'm selling every new game that I buy. For someone like me, I'm not a collector. I don't tend to keep lots of games. It's actually a good deal. I'm the opposite. I definitely collect all my games. I have <laughs> on in our living room, I have a little cubby hole and it's got all my I, I still got all my PlayStation 2 games there that I brought with me when I came from America because uh, that was back during the PlayStation 2 era. And then I have in the next shelf down is all the PS3 games. And then in front of my PS3 games, I have a short stack of PS4 games because I did go quite digital with the PS4. So all my physical games are pretty much things that my wife would get me for Christmas or birthdays or whatnot. Um, I sent you the link for the Pelican Afterglow, so you can check that. Okay. Yep. Ready for it at the end of the show. All right. Fantastic. But uh, yeah, I mean, in general, though, wasn't, I mean, Sony raised their prices. And I know a lot of developers have been saying that the price of games has been needing to go up for a while. So why is it that Nintendo is, you know, everyone's saying, you know, the prices of games haven't really gone up since, you know, forever. I mean, they've gone up slightly, but they haven't been keeping up with inflation. 
And we went over that. And when, and when I did my interview with Ben, we went over that, how if you look at the games back in, you know, the 90s and stuff, if you looked at how much they were selling for, those games were $100 by modern standards. And now games are costing more to be developed than ever before. I mean, if you looked at the amount of money that the original Mario's and Sonic the Hedgehog's took to develop versus how much, say, something like The Witcher 3 or I'm sure Breath of the Wild takes to develop, modern games are just way more intensive. So the price, you know, they're costing more to make them. They're selling them at the relatively the same price. So why is it that they're arguing that it seems strange to me that they would argue that these are overpriced and that they should actually be offering them for less? I mean, I don't see why not. I mean, even if games, the prices haven't changed, the companies still make money. I mean, why would you need to increase the price when you're already making money? Well, you're making less money. How how are you making less? I mean, I mean. Even factoring in inflation from like the, the early '90s, right? Games now make much more money because more people are playing them. No, that's true. There definitely is a much, much bigger industry and that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, like for instance, if you looked at the profitability, because when I was talking to Ben, I actually did all the research on it. And if you looked at the profitability, I think it was the original Mario for the Nintendo. And if you looked at the profitability of The Witcher Three. The Witcher 3 beat out Nintendo, beat out the original Mario just barely. It just barely. And I mean, Witcher 3 was available on PlayStation 4. It was available on the Xbox. It was available on PC. Gaming's much, much larger. Nintendo was much more niche back then. But You think so? I, I, I mean, I would say, I mean, Nintendo back then, like even in Africa, you know, Nintendo was a thing. I mean, The Witcher. Oh, no, it was definitely a thing. But I'm saying gaming as a whole wasn't as mainstream as it is now. Like now, everybody seems to get. I it, mean, right? but but comparing it to The Witcher, The Witcher is a niche game. Relatively, but I mean, okay, yeah. Granted, if you were going to play a game, you didn't have too many options, so you kind of had to play Mario because there wasn't a lot out there. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that it's easy to say, in, in, in that sense that. You know, because it, it's like, yeah, you are making, but also the teams are bigger. You know, you have sure, more sure, people sure. to pay. I mean, I, look at the I crunch agree. time that they're putting in. I mean, look at CD Projekt Red and all the all the flack that they got for the crunch time and whatnot. You know, Mario, you could probably, some, uh, somebody could program the original Mario by themselves in a year. Easy, right? And now you have these teams of 500 plus people working sure. over 10 years to develop this thing to the point where the last two years, they can't even go home anymore because they got to be at the office, you know, 80 hours a week. So they're sleeping in the office and you're just making a small amount of money higher, you know, and that's not really going back to the devs. Let's face it. And that's part of the problem, too, is the CEOs are just hoarding a lot of that money to themselves and not giving it back to the people. It's mismanagement, but, right? We read it in the CD Project Red st- right, story. That, right, that's that's a mismanagement thing. But I mean... Oh, yeah, Ben's got a good comment here. Okay, I think also that a studio then focused on one large project at a time versus a studio divided across countries or continents working on four to five IPs simultaneously in modern times. Now, that's definitely true. If you look at, say, like Bethesda, how many games are they developing currently? I mean, they've got Starfield, they've got The Elder Scrolls Six, they've got... The Ghostwire hasn't come out yet, right? Ghostwire, not yet, not yet. Okay, so they're still working on Ghostwire, and they've dropped a few. I remember there was a, a MOBA game that they were working on that they dropped. And and they've pushed back uh, the game I was really excited for, which is that that time game that the name... Uh, Deathloop, 
supposed to come out end of the, this supposed to come out this week, pushed back until May. Okay, that was the, that was Bethesda. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I mean, they're yeah, you're just doing all these other things and all that, and 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 also too though, I mean, I don't know about South Africa, but I would say the Nintendo is or gaming has spread to much more of the world than it had than it was back in definitely. say the nineties. I mean, definitely, definitely countries that did not have access to these things, at least not easily. Now everybody games. I mean, what is it like? Even in America, they say you know you can live below the poverty line and you can still have an iPhone, right? So. <laughs> You know, sure, like, sure, sure. yeah, so these things are definitely a lot more accessible to everybody, not just the richer people. But yeah, now I will say, though, Mario Odyssey at this point is kind of old, right? I mean, four games four are super old, but yeah. uh, I know, and I know Nintendo often because it does their what do they call it? It's not it's, it's kind of like backwards compatibility, but it's all about digital stuff where you can go to the store and buy games for previous consoles on the Switch. Uh, you can only buy games from, and not everything. So they have, like, when you go into the Switch eShop, you can see uh, Wii U, you can see 3DS. But again, the whole catalog is not available. Okay. Uh, it'll label it. And, I mean, when I've seen the games, I've not seen more than 20 games from previous consoles when I'm browsing through the eShop. Oh, okay. Because I thought they had kind of like a classics thing where they had, you could go through and play, like, some of the classic Marios and stuff like that. But... A lot of that stuff is only available through Switch Online if you pay the monthly fee. Ah. Okay. So a lot of that stuff, I mean, and again, they're ported. Uh, I wouldn't say ported is the right, like they're, they're made compatible right? for the Switch. Uh, and then you only get to play them. So I can't buy them on the Switch eShop. I can only play them if I'm a Switch Online paying customer. Oh, okay. But I mean, it, it, those games should definitely be, I would say, reduced in price. Uh, the older well, stuff. I mean, I mean, if it's, if it's part of the, yeah, I know you can't buy them, yeah. but like, for instance, uh, what was it uh, recently? The, like the last of us when they had, cause now, especially with backwards compatibility, you know, when P when PS fives and when the Xbox X series, you know, they get more populous when they're more available because they have access to the older games of the PS4 and Xbox goes all the way back to what, to the original one, right? Yes. I would say definitely these older games. I mean, obviously you're not doing patches on them. You're not doing too much. You're not doing any maintenance on them. Development costs. You've already recouped it. I would say, yeah, those games should definitely go down in price because really the only thing that you need to pay for is server space to keep the source code is basically the only cost you have for these games. So I would definitely say older games should go down in price probably more than they already do. But for new games, yeah, I don't, I don't think new games are necessarily overpriced. Uh, I, I mean, I, I think compared to a lot of like uh, indie games and stuff, and, and then again, it goes back to the cost of developing it. In, in again, in my opinion, I think games, uh, a lot of games, not just Switch games, because uh, I, I love my Switch. I love, I'm not, a, I don't love Nintendo. I like Nintendo. <laughs> uh, I like Nintendo. And I think games, I think across the board, uh, mobile as well are, especially from big companies, are definitely overpriced. And definitely, I wish more people could play games. And especially living out in Asia, um, so many of my students just won't pay more than ten US dollars for a game. And I think That's that true. is something Nintendo and other companies need to address, because you know, I mean, I mean, it's good for the indies because they get in there, they deliver tons of value for a low price. And that's awesome. And I think that's great. Um, 
But I think people lose out on playing these wonderful sort of generational games like a Mario, like a Yoshi game, like a whatever. Oh, like a Final Fantasy. I should have said that for Adam. That's okay. <laughs> I'm going to pay no matter what it costs. I mean, can uh, you can? Yeah, I don't know if you can see it over there. I have my uh, cloud on his Fenrir. No, that's not the Fenrir. That's the, what's it? The Harvey Dayton. I don't remember what it's called. But it's, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I got that. And that was from the first class edition. That was $300 US. So <laughs> if it's a Final Fantasy, I'm buying it. I'm sorry. I don't care how much it costs. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I obviously, everybody likes cheaper things and free stuff and whatnot. But yeah, I think games are kind of a hard thing to go with because especially when you do look at right now in the game industry employers are i wouldn't say slave labor labor because you know people will take offense to that but they are definitely treated as sweatshop workers you know where they're just not respected and burnout is super super high in the gaming industry with developers right now so uh, i would definitely say that the amount of work that's going into these games if I don't think they selling them for super cheap would be justifiable, but I will say that I could be wrong because I mean, if you look at games like no man's sky, no man's sky has been, they have not made you pay anything beyond the original price of the game. And they have done so much with that, that, Obviously, they're stretching that money really, really far that they can survive and function on purely just the sale of that game alone, you know, that they don't need to offer money for DLCs and stuff like that. So, yeah, maybe there's more money out there than I realize. I, I could definitely be wrong there. Anything's possible. Uh, yes. And then uh, Ben's comment of intern labor. Exactly. I remember when I when I was in university before I came to Taiwan and that was right around the time because you know people had talked about when i when i was in high school and stuff like that and people would talk about doing internships and you know you get paid and whatnot and by the time i graduated college it was a lot of the it's really hard to find a paid internship just take a non-paid one and uh do it for the experience and that seems to be kind of the the new model is is that so unfortunate unfortunate indeed all right you want to hit the next big thing that is uh, not that popular, but still an ongoing story as of Reddit of as of last night. Okay. Uh, yeah. So basically, everyone knows what's going on with GameStop with the stock. So basically, what happened was, I'm not a big stock guy, so I'm probably not the best person to ask, and I might not understand it as well as I think I do. But at least as well as I understand it, it was people started buying up the GameStop stock, and of course, when people start buying stock then it looks popular. And then that, of course, raises the price of the stock. So by doing this, they got the stock to look really good. It went super high, you know, and they all made a bunch of money and some, you know, obviously they started selling it off. And of course, this really upset people because GameStop has been doing horribly recently because, you know, they're a, a brick and mortar store, you know, they're not digital and it's, they've been really struggling for a really long time. I mean, even the the company that owns them, I think, filed for bankruptcy because they just couldn't keep up with uh, what was going on. But basically, there was a group called, what, what are they called? Robin Hood? Yep, Robin Hood. Okay, so it's this group of amateur investors, basically. 
and they're doing this- it's a trading platform okay it's a trading platform and you have all these people that know oh robin is a trading platform the reddit group yeah. is the is the wall street bets okay that that's what i was thinking of so these guys are kind of you know they're kind of doing their wolf of wall street thing where they figured out how to manipulate the market and they're doing that and robin hood's the way that they can all do this really quickly and so the guy that was kind of at the center of it or one of the guys that was kind of at the center of it, his name is keith gill and i love his his handle roaring kitty is the best name <laughs> yeah and so he basically was at the middle of this thing and then now they're doing investigations into it and they're questioning him and a bunch of other people and he came out and said you know what i'm i'm not really sure how this worked to myself i i barely understand it uh i was surprised that it worked you know i would have never expected this to work it was just kind of like a, a fun trolling thing and it kind of got out of hand uh so yeah even he's not quite sure how it worked and and if he, you know, want to the point where if he wanted to replicate it or if he and his group of friends wanted to replicate it, they might not be able to do it. You know, this was kind of a weird fluke thing that it worked out, but it might not work, at, you know, twice. So anyway, uh, he just came out at the end and said, it's uh, alarming how little we know about the inner workings of the market. I am thankful that this committee is examining what happened. So basically he's being questioned by this committee that's saying, how is this possible? How did this happen? And, you know, he's at the middle of it. He's kind of the guy in trouble. But he's like, yeah, I'm kind of glad you guys are doing this, too, because I'd like to know how it worked because I don't really know. So, uh, yeah, just a little bit of drama there. I think their stock value is back down again, right? I can look it up right now. Pretty sure that it's already peaked and it's on its way down. But, yeah, some people made a lot of money. I was reading an article where there was a kid who was like seven or eight years old. and uh, It's gone up 13% since yesterday. Still going up. Okay. Oh, well, well, it's so from the high of Jesus, how long is this is one day. So from the high five days ago, 52.66 to today, $46. So it's dropped. Okay, so it has dropped. Okay. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. It's was... going up today, I think, because there was a, I mean, talks about it yesterday on Reddit and uh, asking people to buy and hold again. Uh, yeah, I, I read something about a, a kid who was seven or eight years old, and I don't know if it was a boy or a girl, but. They, they told their parents, I want to invest in this. And the parents put in like, I don't know, a small amount. And it just blew up. And the kids sold it when it was high. And now these kids made tons of money. So yeah, they're definitely uh, manipulating the market and whatnot. But it kind of, sh- I mean, this is kind of what the whole Occupy Wall Street kind of thing was about with these guys who kind of get in and take control of the situation. But here you have people who are not supposed to be the ones in control taking over it. And now the guys in power are kind of threatened by it. They don't like it. So <laughs> I think it's kind of funny. Oh, no, totally. I mean, to me, I think, you know, uh, it's something I've talked about the last few years as I've gotten older. You know, the old adage of, uh, if you work hard, you'll succeed and make lots of money and you'll be able to retire. And I think that's not true anymore. You can work freaking hard to the bone, you know, and you could probably just going to die poor. <laughs> So and I and I think it's it's this kind of stuff. I think the stuff that's going on with cryptocurrency, um, which I'll talk about later if we have time, probably is, is I think there needs to be mechanisms, and I think Wall Street bets is it's a good way. I mean, it is dangerous. I don't advocate it, but it's a good way for average people to make some money. I know some people have, and that's good for them. Yeah, I definitely agree with Ben's comment here that the problem isn't what the what they did. The problem is is 
that the people who normally would be doing these things were not the ones who did it. And they're upset that somebody else figured out how to game the system. Uh, and the fact that these groups exist on Reddit that allow your average person to compete in this market that normally was you know, relegated to a certain elite few that kind of had insider access and whatnot. In a way, I find it amusing. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I feel sort of like... Uh... Like, like good about it because I did listen to a few podcasts about it when it was going on and uh, they talked about how, how the big hedge funds are were shorting GameStop and uh, the guy Melvin Capital uh, and I didn't even realize what shorting was. I've heard it for so many years and, and, and for those who don't know, uh, shorting means you borrow stock because you believe the price is going to go down and they shorted it by like 40% and when it went up 140%, they had to buy or pay the extra price because they borrowed it from somebody else, which is why they had to borrow $2 billion from Citroen Capital to pay back because they shorted it so much. And I think that's wonderful that they screwed the hedge funds. Oh, I agree. I it's, love that the group's name is Robinhood because I do feel like they kind uh, of captured Robinhood, the, the trading platform. The trading platform. But uh, I, I do kind of like the name, the fact that it does kind of... Uh, it kind of fits the name, you know, we, we, uh, just in this one particular situation. You know, these... Uh, Low-level guys kind of stuck it to the man. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, Robin Hood was part of the problem. Um, I don't know if you read that. I'm, I'm sure it was, but I just like the... Uh, oh, the name Robin Hood. The name cool, yeah. I, I thought was uh, appropriate given the situation. Yes. yes. It, it, was, it was good. And it's hopefully people can band together and make some money. And, uh, I hope so. Especially now with the pandemic and people are struggling. Uh, things can get a little bit better for a lot of people. I'm kind of, now this is kind of a tangent. I'm kind of surprised that, because we were talking about stores the other week, right? With uh, Epic Store and Steam and all that. I'm kind of surprised that GameStop hasn't done their own kind of digital distribution and they're really just sticking to the, the brick and mortar thing. And, and again, this is just a podcast. I've heard they've been through five CEOs in the last five years. Oh, okay. So, and I can imagine, you know, a lack of leadership will do that to you. Mm. Uh, if if somebody had stuck in there and uh, institutional investors, people on the board were like, no, 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 brick and mortar is the way to go. I mean, even you look at here, here's a great example. I mean, I look at places like uh, Tangkun, which is the Chinese and the, the, the English name is like TKEC, City Digital World. I'll just use the English names. Uh, Sunfar, Sunfar, S-U-N. These are all stores that are really popular with people here. People still do a lot of brick and mortar shopping, even for clothes, like clothes here. So many small boutique stores everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I find that surprising because when I lived in America 10 years ago, people were buying stuff from Fry's, from New Egg, from uh, loads of places when it came to electronics. Nobody was buying stuff uh, going into the store back then. I think it's even worse now in the States. Yeah, no, here it's definitely... Taiwan's kind of its own little bubble. For example, in China, it's really common to use the digital pay where people can yes, like, use their yes, phones yes. and stuff. and but uh, and in the states, people use credit cards a lot, obviously, and people used to use checks a lot. They don't use checks as much as they used to. Um, but here in Taiwan, cash is still king. You know, I mean, we're 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 moving slowly towards Apple Pay and Line Pay and that sort of thing. Yes. But I definitely cash is still very common. I like cash. I know you do. I'm I a hate huge cash. Fan of it. I'm a huge fan of it because I can take out my wallet and I can see the money floating away and it makes me, yes. it makes me nervous. And then that makes me not <laughs> overspend. I, I think cash is still like, especially pandemic wise, still a carrier of uh, bad things. You know, 
NFC, you know, like without having to touch a contact pad, and, you know, there's nobody's touching my stuff. I'm not touching their stuff is the safest way to go. Oh, no, there's definitely a convenience to it. I mean, part of my thing, too, is every time I buy something or spend money and it drives my wife a little bit nuts, but I have a little Excel sheet on my phone. And every time yes. I spend money, I open up the Excel sheet and I enter up how much money I spent. And I mean, if you had like, was it the N- NCF and NFS? I don't remember. What it was uh, NFC. NFC. Uh, you know, you go boop, and it deducts the money automatically, but it'll keep a record of all your receipts and stuff on there yes. as well. So, I mean, I wouldn't have to do that manually. It could just automatically do it. And at the end of the day, I could compile them. Yeah. But the fact that I have to do it manually keeps me focused on how much I'm spending. And I'm much more aware of how much I'm spending. Uh, and it does help me control my spending. So uh, for me, cash is a form of safety. <laughs> yeah, we, we've had this discussion yeah. before. Yes. All right. Um, I'm going to skip to my story number three. because, oh, And then we can go on to your story number three. Sure. All right. And we're going to say goodbye to GameStop. Bye-bye. Experience number three. Okay. So. If you didn't know, we talked about this, Jesus, I think earlier this year or maybe the end of last year, that, you know, everywhere in the world, there were GPU shortages. NVIDIA's 3 Series was released. Nobody could buy it. AMD's 6000 Series was released. Nobody can buy it still. Uh, that is still currently the story in America. I just saw a YouTube video last night where a guy made a channel, which which was like data analytics channel. He was like live video of, analysis of current gpu availability in the states that was not the title but was much something much cooler and shorter but that was the gist of it and as of uh this weekend and this week uh talking to hans a friend of the show and me as well i went to uh, sunfar which is one of the the electronic stores uh relatively close to where adam lives and a little bit further when i live and that is pretty much what the shelf looks like it was empty I, I was so surprised when I went in there because their website says, yes, my brother built a computer and had to read it all because the GPU was sold out. So you had to ditch the build and start from scratch. Ridiculous with GPUs. Yes, Plum Forest Park. Oh, no, that sounds awful. Yes. Uh. <laughs> um, I was not angry. I was just like really surprised. I asked the store clerk, I'm like, that's all the GPUs you have? And he was like, yes, there was in a Jesus five-floor store, they had seven gpus and they were the bottom of the range gpus like the gpus you couldn't even play fortnite on because it would just run really badly could you play minecraft you could play minecraft okay well that's all you probably (laughs) probably oh no (laughs) um yeah it's it's really terrible i was so surprised and then that sort of ballooned um i checked with uh the stores yellow stores again uh, they're called TKEC in English, Sun uh, Kun uh, in Chinese. And they said, nope, the only way you want to get a decent graphics card, and, and again, not even a good graphics card, a decent one, is you have to buy a whole computer. And then this is exacerbated because uh, a friend of mine, Hans and I, we are not the problem. Let me just say this before I say this, is we do mine <laughs> cryptocurrency. We only have one machine, one machine. Um, he went to buy a replacement card for our current mining machine, just one card. And the store was like, which is following sort of what the American stores are doing, not just American, like Western stores are doing now, which is if you want to buy a graphics card, they will sell it to you, but in a whole new computer. So 
our crazy friend said, hey, okay, I need this graphics card. He just bought a whole new computer just for the graphics card. How long would you have to do mining to uh, offset the cost? Um, with the card that he bought, Jesus Christ, um, three months. Okay. Mm-hmm. At current prices, and you'd make back your money. What card was it? Uh, he bought a uh, 6900. Uh, 69. So that is the top tier AMD card at the moment, which for mining cryptocurrency is uh, almost close to the top. Not as good as, uh, actually, no, it is the top tier card because and NVIDIA's 3090 does better mining speed, but it uses more power. And this has the good balance of math capability and power. Um, and for those who don't know, in Taiwan, uh, power is really cheap from October to May every year because they drop the prices and then in summer they increase the prices. So, uh, which is why people like I had a, somebody move into an apartment next to me, and when he was checking out the apartment, he brought a bunch of computers and plugged them in, which I assume were mining computers. <laughs> yeah, the reason for that is, is it's actually quite warm here, so none of the houses come with heating at all. Yes, you have to buy like these little external, basically they're like little toaster ovens, but None of the houses have indoor heating. So in the summertime, when it gets hot, you know, everybody has AC. So everybody's running AC. But in the wintertime, there's, yeah, it's warm enough that you don't need heating. So we're not using electricity for anything other than lights, really. So, yep. Yeah. Um, yes, How much did he so pay for the PC as a whole? Do you know? I would have guessed the card itself is uh, $40,000. Taiwan So that's a bit more than 1000 So with the PC itself. Probably around 50 or so, 50 to 60 maybe more because they probably would have made like a high would have bundled that card with a high end pc at the same time so you probably would have paid at least three thousand us dollars <laughs> so uh mason's saying it's 40 degrees celsius with 95 humidity gnarly weather is that is he talking about taiwan or is he talking about where he is right now is that plum forest pot is that mason that's mason yeah Oh damn! Yeah, right now in Taiwan it's not that bad. It can get it can get up 40, 40 degrees Celsius. Where maybe in Taipei, <laughs> not here. Oh, because I've tuned into Mason's church sometime. I didn't realize it was Mason. Yep, that's Mason. Uh, yeah. so what is the weather like today? Um, yeah, in Kaohsiung it rarely gets over thirty-five. It can, but right. Oh well, today is twenty-seven degrees Celsius. Yeah, yeah, I did see that on my phone as well. It's going to be quite warm this week, but it's going to drop by like 10 by the time it comes to nighttime. Yeah, no, it's kind of like a desert in a way sometimes, right? It gets really yes. cold at night and really warm during the day. But our humidity is only 90, 39%. But the real problem here is the parts per million pollution. True. <laughs> That's the real problem. True, true, true. <laughs> uh, so the takeaway, uh, viewers, listeners to the podcast is, I would suggest if you want to buy a card, Hop on to a company like EVJ. They have a queuing system. And if you really want to get a card, don't buy a whole computer. Hop onto the queuing system. You're going to have to wait. So plan ahead. Enter the queuing system. Pay your money up front. EVJ has been really good about it. And your number will come up. You'll get your card eventually. I think, I guess, the current lead time when I checked last night is like three to four months. That kind of sucks. Yes. But it's better than buying a whole new machine or... Alternatively, you buy a card from places where electricity is expensive, like South Africa, and ship it to Taiwan and hopefully get it in two months. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs>
Yes, yes, yes. So, headline, GPU shortage hits Taiwan. Oh, that's too bad. We were doing so well. I was, the other day, Korean was talking about it, and I was like, what are you talking about? There's a story. They've got all these GPUs, and no, it turns out they just had the boxes. <laughs> they just stacked the boxes all the way. Oh, the yes, yes, yes. They don't actually have them in the store. Decoration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was purely for decoration. Misleading is what it is. But apparently, it was a repair shop, not a store. So, yes. Tricked me. All right, so I guess that brings me to my third and last one, relatively short. So BlizzCon was recently hosted, and due to the pandemic, they decided that we're going to do it entirely online. So, you know, it's not a big thing for everybody to show up. And as a result of that, BlizzCon thought, or Blizzard thought, or EA Activision, anyway, whoever's running the show, basically said, let's make it free so you could attend it for free. And they streamed it on Twitch and all these other channels. So apparently, if you went to Blizzard's official channel, during one part of the show, they had Metallica come out and play some music. So during the if you watched Metallica's Twitch feed, their personal Twitch feed, you could watch the concert. If you watched Blizzard's official feed, you could watch the concert. But if you were watching the official Twitch game channel or whatever that they have for these big events, when Metallica came on, they cut the music. And apparently a lot of other Twitch feeds also cut the music and just put it on mute. But the main feed cut the music and then put in this royalty-free kind of like Christmas bell kind of music. And so you see Metallica out there jamming on and then they have this like, you know, kind of happy, like people were calling it Legend of Zelda bell music, basically. (laughs) And the reason for this was is because you've been having, you know, like Twitch and YouTube and all these different groups. You know, they're always having these DMCA troubles where you put something on, you play some music and then they cut you or they ban you or whatever. So Twitch, in order to prevent this from being a problem because they don't want to play Metallica's music, you know, because that could be seen as a, you know, a IP issue, cut Metallica out of their own show so that they wouldn't have to deal with it. And a lot of people think that this is great and, and are actually really enjoying it, A, because it's just cheesy and it's funny and, you know, it's goofy. But... Right, exactly. What Ben says here, Metallica literally started the royalty lawsuit against Napster way back in the day. No one will take a chance with them. And that's what is happening right now is a lot of people are seeing the beautiful irony in this and that Metallica was the group that was really against, you know, don't put our music on YouTube. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know, pay the artists and all this. And now it's really come back to bite them to the point where they can't even their own music can't be played at their own concert because people are worried about it being taken down. Uh, so the, there's a, a delicious irony in there. This is almost uh, Shakespearean in the way it twists at the end, you know. So uh, a lot of people are having a lot of fun with it, you know, it, it, and it is kind of funny. You know, you, you got to laugh at these things. I don't know if Metallica's laughing all that much, but uh, I, they should be. I mean, this is you got to admit, it's, a, it's kind of a funny situation. And I haven't heard the music. I, I do want to go back and watch the stream just to hear the music because I've heard it's really like just really weird and jarring but but yeah so it's it's fun funny yeah i did see the story i didn't realize how uh terrible it was 
with the Zelda music or Zelda bell-like music. Yeah, that's... there's probably a YouTube video somewhere where you can watch it and, and see what it sounds like. But uh, they were saying it's just it's like kind of like Christmassy bells or something. I haven't heard it yet. But... Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just enjoy it. Definitely. Uh, now I've got to load up Amage. Adams, where's the Amage? Oh, can't speak Amage, today. Amage, yeah. I was pronouncing <laughs> words earlier, too. This is what happens when you live in Taiwan too long and you listen to the kids and then, yeah, they, they grow on you and the <laughs> language seeps into you. It does indeed. Where is Adams' picture? There it is. Afterglow. Yeah, so this is the Pelican Afterglow. This is what the bottom looks like. And um, you can I see... The Metallica one. Are you yeah. still on the Metallica one? Yeah. Oh, I just had to hide it. Oh, okay. All right. So yeah, resize that big boy. Yeah, we go. All right. So anyway, you can see where the R2 and the L2 are recessed underneath the controller. You can kind of see there are the black tabs. You might not be able to see it there. It's kind of small. But yeah, so if you see it there, then that was just the most comfortable setup for me ever. Because it just, you know, normally, like I said, when I'm holding a controller, I hold it like this and my thumbs sit here. So it's kind of resting or not my thumbs, but my middle finger sit here. So it's kind of resting on it. So the fact that the triggers were down here just made it super, super comfortable for me. So I that is my favorite controller of all time. I've always I look for this controller all the time where I'm always online and I all throughout the, the PlayStation 4, I was like, you know, PlayStation 4 third-party controllers, looking them up all the time, trying to see if anything was even remotely like this. And nobody's ever copied it, and I don't know why, and it makes me very, very sad. So, It does look really, really cool. He's saying but close I... the lights. He's using Chinglish, because they always say close the lights, close the TV, instead of oh, turn off the lights, turn off the TV. Oh, oh, oh. I was like, oh, God, do we have some like really bright lights on somewhere? No, no, no. But notice, that's the thing. He said close the lights, and you immediately just think, you don't even register that that's... <laughs> grammatically incorrect. incorrect yes no like i don't immediately understood what he was saying i was just like oh guanteng yes that's right yeah 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 no I've, I've definitely done that i did that the other day where i said close the tv and then immediately after it i was like wait no <laughs> turn off the tv oh god i say like a, a broken english in class all the time recently i do it all the time Stuff. too and it drives my wife nuts and <laughs> it's it's bad like i'll at least your wife knows the difference. My partner. No, she does. But that's that... the thing is, I don't do it to her. But like, if uh, if we go somewhere and there's somebody, and I'm trying to explain something, and I'll cut out like articles or I'll simplify things and I'll say them in kind of a Chinglish kind of way, because in my mind I'm thinking like, okay, it'll be easier for this person to understand. And then my wife's like, "Don't do that," you know. <laughs> micro. <laughs> oh, is it not microtransactions? Microaggressions and it's bad. So. Oh, I like that. It, Mason said it's language learning for necessity. It is. And, and uh, one of the biggest things that have helped me in learning Chinese is actually listening to the mistakes my students make. Because when my students say something wrong, there's a 90% chance that the reason they're saying it wrong is because they're thinking in Chinese and they're using English that's, words that's with Chinese grammar. So when I'm trying to remember how to say something in Chinese, I just think about how would my students screw this up? And that's probably the right way to do it in Chinese. <laughs> I remind students all I'm like, hey, no, this is Chinese English. Speak English, English. Reverse the order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I definitely do that all the time with like, uh, like close the lights or um, there's some some grammatical things. I can't remember what it is, but they always screw it up. And so I always think, oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Or this like, you know, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say like how they use uh, have. Or, you know, 
when you are trying to say where are you going, you know, you want to go where, <laughs> and you know, little 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 kids will come up, teacher, Chinese New Year, you want to go where, you know, oh, and they're yes. trying to say where yeah. are you going, but yes. you know, and then I just try to think how would the kids say it, and then I'm like, okay, so you know, niao tu nali, right? Yes. Uh, so. I was going to say this is a, a lovely segue into our continuation of life in Taiwan next week. Yeah, thanks, yes. Mason. <laughs> <laughs> we owe you. <laughs> so I mean, we we talked. I mean, where did we end up off next week? We we did we talk? I mean, we kind of introduced how we got here, but we didn't really talk about life here as much yes. in itself. So maybe we'll we'll sort of. Skip the introductions because we already talked about right. it. Some of the quirks and, and yes, good sides. Can get and into like and... sort of uh, maybe mid-decade into Taiwan and that sort of stuff. What happened? Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. Yes, that's like a ten-hour conversation. <laughs> it is. That's the thing is it goes on for a really <laughs> long time. I mean, more than a decade. We've got stories out the wazoo. Oh yeah. Oh God, I haven't said wazoo in forever. I haven't either. <laughs> For the Church of Seven Eleven, ah, oh, yes, God, yeah, I need to apologize for that. I have not edited anything at all, and uh, I just got horrible like work related. Well, good work related news, bad for the podcast related news. Uh, the company I work for, the branch we're opening in Sweden, just got approved as of midnight last night. So that is wonderful and bad at the same time. <laughs> we'll get it out. We'll get it out. Yes, yes, indeed, indeed. So, Mr. Gray, I love how your wife said, please ask Mr. Gray to check his line message. Yeah. Does your wife actually call you Mr. Gray? Not very often. Oh, I was like, whoa, Mr. Gray, that's serious. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> yeah. I forget things a lot, so. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. My uh, my partner Zona tells me stuff all the time. She's like, blah, 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 blah. And she says, ah, I know you have a, she says, have a some kind of like memory in Chinese. Called your full Chinese name. Oh yes, yes, yes. Ah, oh, I love doing that in class sometimes because I know a few students' full Chinese name, and I'll say blah 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 blah. They're like, what? <laughs> um. So next week, um, there's a holiday next week, Monday. Do you want to do a podcast Monday, or do sure. you have plans for next week, Monday? I mean, I normally stream on Monday, but that's fine. We can do the podcast then. Ah, uh, no, I think let's stick with Tuesday because I mean. What might end up happening is I might need Monday to prepare and get stuff ready anyway. So fine, <laughs> I'll stream if I have to. <laughs> yes, please, please do, please do. All right, so that'll be it for us today. I keep wanting to click on Firefox to go back to the show notes. So thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. If you have any ideas about future shows, please let us know. We're always looking for new topics. I mean, we've been doing this for. Five, almost six months at the moment. You know, our brains are sponges. If you want to get in touch with us, check us out at Middle Age Gaming 2020 on Twitch, at Middle Age Gaming on Instagram, Gaming Aged, A G E D on Twitter, Middle Age Gaming 2020 on Facebook, or email us, Middle Aged, again, A G E D Gaming 2020 at gmail.com. Even though we just call ourselves Middle Age Gaming at the moment, we'd love to hear from you. We're still waiting for emails as opposed to YouTube saying, hey, you got a comment, and then just spam. So that is that. So, Adam? Uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, this is probably some of the most interaction we've had in a while on the show. So I'm really happy for today. And uh, thank you, Ben and Mason, for coming in and talking to us. This is great. I, I love this. 
Oh, yes, yes, yes. I'd like to thank my cousin, Carthy, and uh, again, Jonah Lu, who joined me for Slam Rancher last night. Thank you guys as well. If you listen to the podcast, thank you for listening to that too. That's right. Shout outs for everybody. So yeah. Shout outs for everybody. <laughs> all yes. right. So uh, I guess we'll all see. We'll all see. You'll all see. Everybody's going to see everybody next week. <laughs> so yeah, check it out. Then Tuesday and... at the regular time, uh, 9.45 Taiwanese time, roughly 10 a.m. Taiwanese time. And we'll see you guys next week. That's right. And catch our streams in the meantime. Yes, please do. All right. Good evening and good morning to everybody. See you guys next week. See you later.